0: Uh, Let's go to God in prayer before we open up the word. God, we thank you so much for the day that you've given to us, um, for the ability to come together in in many and varied and unique ways, to worship you and to praise you, to bring you glory and honor, to strengthen and encourage and edify one another. We're thankful for Jesus, the unity we have in his blood, the hope and peace we live with because of his sacrifice. And pray that we use our lives in a way that brings you glory and brings you honor. And God, as we leave this place, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and discernment and boldness. That we would be able to seek out the voice of your spirit in our lives. That we would have the the wisdom to discern your voice from the others that we hear. And we would have the boldness to follow where you lead, even when it leads us into places that are uncomfortable, that are challenging. Maybe lead us into places we just simply don't want to go. Give us the boldness to follow. And for these next moments, Father, as we uh, open up your word, that, pray that you would work within us, that we would be available to you, that our spirit would be open, that our minds would be willing to be shaped and molded more and more into your image. We pray for your intervention in our lives, and that you would lead us and guide us and care for us as you have promised you will. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're talking about the good life, right? Uh, uh, We started this last week. We started in the Sermon on the Mount. And and as I mentioned last week, when we study the Sermon on the Mount, we usually start in Matthew chapter 5 and we move to Matthew chapter 7. That's just typically the way we study. It's in order, 5, 6, 7, Uh, It's in the order than the way it comes in the Bible, probably in in the order in the way it was preached. And so we typically study it that way. Well, we started this study on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. And each week we're going to look at the things that come before. Uh, Sometimes I have been told anyway, I don't read books a whole lot. Most of my books are um, online through a Kindle or audio books. It's easier for me to process things that way. But I've been told that if you have trouble reading a paragraph, if you read it backwards, you process it differently. Because it requires a little uh, or or much more intentionality about the way you read and the way you digest the words and the phrases, you have to think about it differently. I have a hard enough time reading forwards. Reading backwards is a real challenge for me. But it forces us to kind of sit down and really concentrate on what's going on. similar process to the way we're going through the Sermon on the Mount here. We we began in Matthew chapter 7 last week. And this week we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 33. um, At what comes before that section there in Matthew chapter 7. Um, These two sections here. One is on uh, possessions, material things, uh, the treasure of the heart. And the other is talking about anxiety and worry. Um, I, I think Jesus probably puts these things back to back. Because they go well together. And by going well together, I mean they go often together. Um, But let's read this uh, section here in Matthew chapter 6. And then we'll talk about some things that maybe we need to collect from it. In verse 19, he begins uh, this section by saying, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth Nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and mammon. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And Why do you worry about clothes? Learn about the wild flowers and how they grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O oh you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think we find these uh, passages so closely together because that's typically what happens, right? When, When our life becomes about things, when it becomes about possessions, when it becomes about the material. I don't have a lot of control over those things. And a lack of control leads to worry and anxiety. And I know the truth of what he says here at the end. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So why are you fretting over things that have yet to come? Why are you worrying about things that may or, or may not ever come to pass? Be present in the moment. I, I understand that, but, but doing it and putting it into action is a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Living that life is a whole different story than knowing the truth. That exists there because we like to make our own way right we we like to create our own path that we're going to walk down we we like to move in in a path in a a mode that we have created and that doesn't mean that I won't sacrifice for those things Um, frequently when you are going through college before you get a job you will do an internship um, very Rarely are those internships paid, but I will do some free work if it means I have a chance to get some good paid work down the road. We make sacrifices when it is for our benefit, when it it means that there is something on the other side for us. Something that gives us more control, more responsibility, more influence. Like, I've even been in positions where I have taken jobs with more responsibility and sometimes less pay. When I went from being a service salesman to a service manager, I made less money. But I knew what to expect, and I had more control. I had more responsibility in the organization. Even though my paycheck wasn't as high, my credibility was high. And so we have the ability, even with material things, to understand that we will sacrifice one for another when it is for our benefit, our perceived benefit. But we like to be in control of those things. But here is the thing about the good life. The good life isn't made by owning a fortune because so many of our decisions, so many of our patterns, so many of our ideals... Are about building a fortune, are about creating some security for me, myself, for my family, for my children and grandchildren. But the good life isn't about owning a fortune, it's about trusting God to provide for our very needs. And this is the problem, at least for me. I like to be in control of my own destiny. That's the beautiful thing of March Madness, right? We didn't get to experience that this year because of a microscopic creation. We didn't get to experience one of the greatest, most bizarre, fantastic moments in sports. Right? The big dance, 64 teams, now expanded to 68. Sometimes you don't even have to win your own conference, but on that Sunday, Selection Sunday, when those 68 teams are named, you have a chance. It may not be a good chance. They may call you Cinderella wearing the glass slipper for a reason, but the truth is, you control your own destiny in that moment. Win and move on. And when you're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, anything can happen on any given day. I don't care how good of an athlete you put on on that court. A 21-year-old kid is susceptible to becoming a 21-year-old kid at any moment, opening the door for Cinderella to show up at the ball in a dress and slippers that fit. You see, that's the beauty for a sports fan of March Madness. Even people who know nothing about basketball will gather to watch this debacle March Madness, the big dance just in the hopes or in the anticipation of maybe getting the ability or the opportunity to see history made. They control their own destiny, right? That's what you like to hear as a team, as a people. All you have to do is take care of your own business and you are in. Last year when LSU got to that point in the football season and they realized all you have to do is win. You have moved up the rankings to this point, and if you continue to win, you will be the team at the top saying, we get to play for this, and we get to decide who takes a trophy home. That's where we like to be. So so surrendering things to people that are seen is difficult. How much more difficult is it for us to surrender our lives to something that we can't see, that we can't touch, taste, smell. Yet we know that he is there. We know that he is faithful. And that, though, is where the good life is found in our ability to surrender the things of this world to the thing that is unseen. But it is more stable than anything we can see. It is more sure than anything that we can see in this world. And Jesus goes on to teach as he talks about storing up treasures on earth. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't you know everything in this earth passes away? The nicest clothes you own can be destroyed by a moth. Gold tarnishes, silver tarnishes, the beauty of things fades. Rust can come and affect even the strongest of metals. He says, don't put your hope in the things of this world, but yet store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because, he says, there your heart will be also. You see, your treasure determines the direction of your heart. We often get that backwards, at least in our minds. We think about that backwards We think, well, if if I can just put my heart somewhere, maybe the things that I treasure will follow. That's not been my experience and it's not what Jesus teaches. He says the things that you treasure will determine the direction of your heart. Right. There are things that you do. There are things that you act on. There are things that you choose. And they are your choice. The things that you value are the things that you choose. The places where you invest your time, your ability, your effort, your money. Those are things that we choose. Those are the things that we treasure. Jesus says, look, this is why what you treasure is so important. Because the things that you treasure end up determining the direction of your heart. That you can't say with all of your earthly life that I treasure these things, yet I'm going to send my heart over to God. See, it doesn't work that way. He says, because where you put your energy into, where you put your effort into, where you put your investment into, your heart is going to follow. He says, don't, don't treasure the things of this world. Put your treasure in things that are heavenly where moth and rust do not destroy and there is no thief good enough, wily enough, sly enough to break in and steal your treasure in heaven. It is secured for you there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So maybe the question comes to you and to me, what is it that you treasure? Is it security? Success? Wealth? Things? Acceptance? Praise? What are those things in your life that you would drop anything to pursue or to achieve? When we read through this teaching of Jesus, he says it's not worth it. You can desire those things and you can want those things, but don't you for a moment treasure those things? Treasure, keep, store eternal things. The things that are of God's kingdom and God's will. And, and then he goes on as he talks about this battle between the heart and the mind and the desire. He says, you can't serve two masters. He say, here's the thing. You're going to either be devoted to the one and hate the other. Or you're going to love the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. And, and so frequently, that's where we find ourselves as Christians is we are straddling this chasm trying to keep one world one foot in this world and one foot in the other trying to get the best of both places and Jesus says you're going about it all wrong because if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness not only do you get everything that heaven has to offer but the things you need in this world are given to you as well trying to serve two masters doesn't work for anybody you cannot be given to two masters Jesus says choose the things of the world. We must choose who we are going to serve. God and and money or God and mammon. The term mammon, according to Rick Renner in his um, commentary, he's talking about the way the Greek is used there. There's an expression used by the Jewish community in New Testament times to express this idea not necessarily of material things, but of just simply worldliness. And Jesus takes this phrase and says, you can't serve the world and God at the same time. You're going to have to choose whose camp you're in. You can't have it both ways. He says, choose the things that are of God. He's actually saying that it is impossible to serve God in worldliness. And by the way, along with worldliness comes these other things that our world is trying to pursue. They're trying to find fulfillment in those things, and Jesus says that's not the way to go about it. That's not the way to the good life. The good life is a life that is dedicated to God. And The dangers of of wealth are often mentioned in the New Testament, but they're certainly not condemned. Like, it's, it's not a sin to be wealthy, it's not a sin to be successful, it's not a sin to be secure, it's not a sin to have a good retirement plan. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. What Jesus is condemning here is this greed, this constant pursuit, this constant lust for more that consumes, that hoards at the expense of everything else. Godliness is the one thing that should consume you. And so the question is, how do I know when something has taken a toll, has a grip on my life that I am not willing to let go? And I think the litmus test for me is how generous am I willing to be with that asset or that thing that is in my life? Because generosity with any asset prevents that consuming nature of greed from taking root in your heart. Because whatever it is that I have, whatever it is that I desire, whatever it is that I have want or achieved or obtained, if I am willing to part with it, then it can't control. Generosity in God's upside down kingdom, or actually in God's right side up kingdom, is the greatest way to use whatever asset we've been given. Not to hoard it or not to spend it selfishly on ourselves. Maybe that's why we are instructed from the very beginning of God's law to give first things to God. There is something about this first fruits idea that says, look, when I am given anything, first things first, I give back to God. And then with what's left, I decide how I need to be living my life because that that kind of generosity that gives back to god whether it is time or or money or or things or space whatever it is that you've been given to give back to god with those first things is the way to prevent those things of this world from taking residence inside and owning a piece of a heart that should be wholly devoted to the creator When we give things away, we are declaring to ourselves that God is our provider. We trust him to do what is best for us. And we know that everything we have belongs to and comes from him anyway. And I've used this example before and I'm going to use it again. For me, it comes in my prayer life. Um, Sometimes when my... Prayer life is struggling. Sometimes I don't have the words. Sometimes I don't know what to pray for. Sometimes I don't know really how to pray. Sometimes I don't know what's missing or what needs to be added. Um, and what I typically find is there are some postures in prayer, in study, in meditation that help shape my mind. And, and one of them is just simply this open hands. Because what I have found in my own life is I typically pray to God with closed fists. And and I'm asking God to fill my life, my family's life, this church's life with something. But the problem is my hands aren't open to receive it. And do you know why my fists are closed so tightly? Because I don't want to go of anything. I'm pretty comfortable where I am. And you know what happens when I come to God with open hands? He starts taking things away. He starts taking things away that I like that I enjoy, that I've come rather accustomed to. And that's uncomfortable. But when we are able to approach God with a sense, with a posture of openness, there's a vulnerability that lies there that says, God, I trust you. I trust you with my whole being. Take out the things that need to be removed. And God, fill me with things where I need to be filled. And sometimes I feel like a toddler. Sometimes I need to feel like a toddler, being led by the hands of the Almighty God. I don't want my treasure to be stored up in things where moth and rust can destroy. But those are the things that I know, and so those are the things that I hold on to so tightly. And Jesus and God frequently say, if you would just open up your hands, you think you are losing something, but I want to give you something so much more valuable than anything this world has to offer. You think you're missing peace and security? It's because you haven't opened up your life to me. It's because you haven't allowed me to take away the things that are causing you anxiety and fear and worry. And by the way, when I take those things out, I'm going to replace them with my peace and with my strength and with my hope. But it requires us to be willing to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, and say, God, I am yours, I am all yours, and my whole life is dedicated to you and your glory and your praise. And if the things of this world come along, then so be it. If the things of this world don't come along, then I will know that God is my protector, God is my provider. And there is peace and there is hope in that. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you need to take a place amongst the people of God to be baptized in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to begin this walk with Jesus. Maybe there is some way the church can be in prayer to you. If you are here among us. You can come forward and make that known as we sing this last song. If you're watching online, there's some way we can be of assistance to you. You can um, send us an email, fill out one of those online attendance cards, call the church office, text me personally, office at goodwoodchurch.org, 225-272-8936. We are here for you in any way that we can be.